Our text for today comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace on those who, on whom his favor rests. When the, Lord, when the angels had left them and gone into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. All right, no one ever has to feel bad about bringing their kids to church because mine are doing their part. So uh, <laughs> it's just how it goes sometimes, right? Uh, anyways, good morning, everybody, and welcome to church. As you're probably aware already because of the reading that Marilyn did, today we are talking about joy. Is there anybody who feels joyful this morning? You can raise your hand. Uh, good, most of us are joyful. Uh, I'm glad for those of you who are feeling joyful in the place today. That's a good thing. I'm glad you're having a good year and a good week. Uh, but I'm also aware of the fact that there are some in the room and probably some online who are not feeling quite so joyful, right? Uh, in fact, we've been hearing about this on the news a lot lately, about people who are not experiencing joy, they actually feel a kind of lack of joy, uh, and that is, actually we've heard that there is like a level of depression that is increasing in our nation, partly due to the fact of the social isolation created by COVID. There are a number of people for whom this season of time has been exceedingly unjoyful, uh, and you would think that in a year like this, a year when so many of our routines and regular patterns of behavior have been interrupted, that a little Christmas spirit is just exactly what we need to get, help us get through. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire, something I have never seen nor tasted, but still brings warm thoughts to my heart. Presents under the tree, Christmas lights, the, the whole shebang, right? Just in time to perk up our spirits. But there's a problem, right? Christmas is about joy, good tidings of great joy, which is meant for all the people. But often the kind of joy or happiness we focus on at Christmas is not the kind of joy, it turns out, that the Bible talks about. They are different things, actually. Very often the kind of joy our culture focuses on at Christmas is really not joy at all. It's more of a kind of fleeting happiness, I would say. It's derived from uh, feelings of sentimentality, nostalgia, and the consumption of consumer goods, right? And possibly the consumption of fudge, which is as close to godliness as we're going to get today. Uh, you see, we are, here's the truth, we are constantly being discipled by our culture to link joy or happiness 
to things found at the external, external things in our lives. The positive situations and the circumstances we find ourselves in, the material goods that we have acquired, our culture is always speaking to us and telling us that that's where we tap significance. That's where we find joy. Now, thankfulness and gratitude for our material blessings and for our good situations is really important, it turns out. Both mentally and spiritually, cultivating gratitude in our lives is incredibly important. But the the problem arises when we define joy as what it, or, or by what happens to us and by what we possess. When that is the definition of joy in our lives, things go awry. One of the things you hear a lot about, uh, uh, one of the things you hear a lot this time of year, you hear it on on the news from time to time when they're talking about the amount of sales that a particular corporation has made in the fourth quarter and whatnot, but you hear... Uh, people being referred to as consumers. Has anybody, you hear this, right? All those consumers out there. Men and women are one way you could refer to people, right? People is another way you could refer to people. Americans is also a way you could refer to us. But it tends to be true that we are being referred to more and more as consumers, as consumers, like we are a bunch of worker bees, only instead of honey, the thing that we are supposed to be doing is apparently buying scented candles at Bed Bath & Beyond. Like, uh, one of my pastor friends got his young son a t-shirt that says, I'm not a consumer, I'm a human being, <laughs> right? And I thought that that was a really good shirt. I was reading an article in Time Magazine this week uh, that was looking at the psycho- psychological implications of, v- of the populace viewing ourselves as consumers. Uh, and it turns out that it has a pretty significant psychological impact on us. This is uh, one quote from the article. It says this, When we view ourselves and each other first and foremost as materialistic consumers, the researchers say that the results are a more depressed, anxious population, and a more antisocial, isolated society. Basically, you want to live in a place filled with everyday people, not surrounded by desperate, ultra-selfish consumers who are all battling it out over precious resources in some ugly post-apocalyptic world that resembles a Black Friday at the mall, right? None of us want to live in that world. In our culture, Christmas has become a season of consumption, hasn't it? Where we look to external things to make us happy. But it turns out that if we make Christmas all about those things, it ends up having a negative effect on our lives and a negative effect on our, uh, on our psychological outlook on the world. It is possible for you to get everything you have ever wanted, Right? To have a perfect family and a perfect life and a beautiful spouse and still be unhappy, isn't it? It happens all the time. My main concern uh, is that I uh, would get too caught up in the Christmas thing, right? Have any of you seen that commercial with the Lexus with the big red bow on the top that's sitting in the driveway? Usually there's like two Lexus sitting in the driveway, 
you can get a Lexus with a big red bow sitting uh, in your driveway, and you could still be unhappy, couldn't you? There are all kinds of unhappy Lexus drivers out there in the world. <laughs> because our culture's idea of joy and happiness around Christmas is actually making our society, I think, less joyful because it's confusing us and telling us that something's going to make us happy that actually, in the long run, won't. Because the key to joy in this world turns out not to be material goods or external things. Instead, the, the, the key to true joy, to true happiness, is internal. It turns out to be spiritual. Here is a maxim for you this morning. In order to find our joy, in order for our joy to be true and lasting, it must be based on something that can't be taken away from us. You ever thought of that? You see, circumstances can change, can't they? Material possessions will degrade over time and become obsolete. It doesn't, I don't care if you got the best Vitamix on the, on the block, right? It will eventually break and become obsolete. But when the Bible talks about joy, it is not talking about something that can change or something that can fade or something that can go away. When the Bible speaks of joy, it speaks of something that is deep and that is lasting. Something that is eternal, even, and can't, be, can't ever be taken away from any of us. Christmas is about this type of joy, this good news of great joy that has been in, unleashed on the world in the person of Jesus. We read it in our text for today, but the angel said unto them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so, from this passage, I think we can infer a few truths about joy this morning. And I want to talk a little bit about what biblical joy is all about, and maybe, just maybe, how we can access it. And so, from this teaching text this morning, we can learn this thing first. Joy is about the fact that God has come to us. Joy is about the fact that God has come to us. Unto you a son has been born. Unto you the Messiah, Jesus, has come. You see, the incarnation of Jesus tells us that before we were in existence, before we knew anything, before we had the slightest inclination of what was good or bad for us, before we knew how to eat or breathe or do anything, God came to us in the Messiah, in Jesus, and no circumstances in your life can change that fact one iota. Nothing can change it. He has been given. He has come. And he is with us. The name the angel tells Mary to name Jesus, and the name we sang about this morning was Emmanuel, God with us. Not God will be right with you in a moment. Not can you hold, please, for God. Not do some stuff, and then maybe if you do it right, God will be on your side. No, God is with you, whether you want him to be or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you're open to it or not. God has come to you, to us, to be with us. 
This is his very character and nature. You see, from the perspective of the Bible, Christmas is about the grace and joy of knowing that God is with us even when we don't feel or know it ourselves. Even when the road seems dark. So this, this is not a joy, just for the record, that denies pain. This is not like a, a happy, sunny, fake joy, right? We've all met those people in our lives who, who truly everything's wrong and everything's horrible, but they just put on a happy face and walk out the door, right? This is not that type of joy. Biblical joy is not pretending that stuff doesn't hurt, right? Or avoiding the pains of this world. Jesus himself was crushed, we are told. He was persecuted. He was afflicted. He was anxious. He was depressed, and if you feel those ways this morning, if you feel those ways around this year and this Christmas, well, then you're in good company because Jesus felt them too. But the joy we are speaking about is not reducible to a feeling. It's not that a feeling is involved, but it's not just a feeling. It's about a kind of proper confidence in a theological reality. And if that sounds boring, well, then just deal with it. That God, <laughs> that God loves us that Christ came to deal with our sins and reconnect us to a loving God. That is an ontological fact that we can't shake. There is coming a day when all of the broken things in our world will be knit back together in the hands of a loving God. This is a true statement that is true because Christ has came to us. And in this in-between time we are experiencing now that we call life, Amid all of our pain, amid all of our difficulty, God in Christ has promised, because he came, to be with us, to be with you, and to be with me. But that leads to a question, right? Okay, Nick, I'll give you the fact that Jesus came to be with us. I'll give you that Jesus was a literal person, right? That he lived on earth, and that he died, and that he did all the things you're saying. But how do I access this type of joy, like personally? How do, how do we actually live lives of joy in the midst of a world that is difficult, that is hard, that is full of suffering? I think the key to accessing this joy, if you, if you ask me, I think the key to accessing joy, like true biblical joy, is found in rightly ordering our lives. Now again, that sounds kind of theological and boring, doesn't it? Joy is about having a rightly ordered life. But just track with me here for a moment, all right? In Psalm 16, uh, verse 11, we read this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The joy we are speaking about this morning is the natural byproduct of a life lived with Jesus at the center of it. All right? It's a natural byproduct of putting Jesus at the center of your lives. The psalmist says here that joy is accessed in God's presence, at his right hand. Now, when I read, this, when I read this, I'm kind of immediately brought back to when I was a young guy growing up in church. And I kind of believed that the in your presence part of that psalm was all about singing songs to God in church. All right? So the only place that you could be in the presence of God or that you could access this was while singing worship songs in church. 
And that sounded bad to me because I didn't always like singing worship songs to God in church that much, to be completely honest with you. Pastoral confession moment this morning, right? Uh, But I don't think that's... Now, here's what I will say. There is a special grace given to us as we sing together in church. What we did this morning is powerful, and I believe God shows up. But I don't think that's exactly what this psalm is all about. I think something, I think the psalmist is trying to communicate something slightly more holistic to us. Uh, The psalmist, I believe, is speaking about what a rightly ordered life looks like. A life that puts vital connection with God, that puts Jesus at the center, at the top of the pyramid of our lives, if you will. Christ is at the top, and then everything else kind of filters out underneath. Everything else is ordered or is slotted underneath that one reality. And again, even if you don't feel particularly loving towards Jesus or towards God, if you put Jesus at the top of the pyramid, there are some promises in the scripture that his love will still move towards you even when your love feels a little wishy-washy. In our weakness, in our depression, in our difficulty, God will hold us if we come to him in that way. In Romans 8, verses 35 through 38, we read this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Then skip down to verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? That, that put Jesus at the top of the pyramid. Center your life around him. Get as close to his love as possible. And nothing, this passage says, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Not because you will always feel like he loves you, but because God's love is that good. And you can be assured of the fact. Paul is not, notice in this passage, Paul is not denying that hard things happen to us, is he? He's saying tribulations and distress and persecutions and famines and nakedness. Hopefully that's never a case for you guys. We don't keep your clothes on, right? Uh, Peril, sword, all of it can't separate you from the love of God. You, you, you can't get away. Bad things will happen. Difficulties will come. But yet, but they can't dissuade God's love, and so they can't steal your joy. Because in knowing that God's love is towards us is a, an abundance of joy, a fullness of joy. Paul is simply affirming the truth of, that, of who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus. And that those things that Jesus has done, his coming to us, his laying down of his life on the cross, his being with us, are more powerful than the difficulties and pains that we face. doesn't always feel that way, I will readily admit, but they are. And this is why. Joy, or happiness if you will, are not external they're not material. They are spiritual. It's not about what happens to you. It's about who you are and what you are connected to. And if, you, if we, as, as people, allow our hearts to be disoriented and we have uh, not put God at the top of the pyramid of our lives, 
we will not move towards God naturally. And when that thing that we love in a disordered way is taken from us, yeah, there's going to be a lot of pain. There's going to be probably more difficulty than we would want. But when, when love for God, love for Jesus, is at the top, if it forms the center of our lives, then that thing can never be taken away from us, can it? And though our lives are difficult, and though things happen, and though, uh, and though stresses come, joy can remain because of that vital connection. When we put our love for God in its proper place, and we seek Him and His priorities, well, then our joy is based on something that will never be taken away from us. Because, as we read in the Scriptures, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And as we allow Jesus to take the pride of place in our lives, and we allow our priorities to be subsumed under his priorities for us, all the temporal realities of our lives, all of the passing things, all of the experience we, as we have will be subsumed or uh, kind of swallowed up in the joy that is present for us in the life of God found in Jesus Christ. And this is something that should happen progressively in our lives as we grow. As we disciple ourselves under Jesus, this is something we learn. We don't spring fully formed into the world as joyful people. But as we follow Jesus on this path called life, experiencing pains and difficulties and setbacks, we can grow more joyful and less cynical. We can grow more joyful and less angry, but we have to be moving in the right direction, and we have to be working to center our lives on the right things. Have you ever met an old person that was exceedingly grumpy, right? They weren't born that way. That was a trajectory in their lives, right? And the same is true of if you've an older person who is filled up with joy, right? It's a trajectory in their lives. Have you ever met a Christian person like that? It just seems to be bubbling over with joy all the time. It's because they've given their lives over to this reality. You know, I ran into a gentleman one time. And he was an older guy. There was nothing particularly fancy about him. But when he learned that I was a pastor, he grabbed my hand and he pulled me in close. And he, as he was crying when he said it, which was very off-putting to me, but it was powerful. And he said, isn't our Lord so good? And I remember just like being hit by a wave of joy in the face, right? That the joy just radiated from this very normal guy didn't have anything external that would draw you to him, but there was just an abundance of joy. There was a radiance that kind of came off him. This person had learned the secret to joy, that it wasn't found in externals. It wasn't found in anything that he owned. It wasn't even found in anything that had happened to him. Joy had become something, not just an occasional emotion, it be, had become a sturdy disposition in his heart. A sturdy kind of disposition. And as followers of Christ, we are called to cultivate joy in our lives as a kind of sturdy disposition. Something that, uh, something that is the regular joy being the regular, the normal thing for us, rather than the opposite. 
One of my favorite authors, a British guy in the early 20th century, G.K. Chesterton, sums this idea up really well when he says this. Man is more himself, man is more manlike when joy is the fundamental thing in him and grief the superficial. Melancholy should be an innocent interlude, a tender fugitive frame of mind. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. Pessimism is at best an emotional half-holiday. Joy is the uproarious labor by which all things live. Christianity satisfies suddenly and perfectly God's ancestral instinct for being the right way up, satisfies it supremely in this, that by its creed, joy becomes something gigantic and sadness something special and small. Wouldn't you like for joy to be something gigantic in your life and for sadness to be something special and small, something that's like on the side of your life and joy to be the predominant trajectory of your life? If, we are, if I'm understanding the Christian life appropriately and I'm understanding what the Bible says about joy, joy is our future. Joy is the invitation of the Christian life got worked up. Joy is the thing we're invited to step into. It's not a momentary thing. And as we follow Jesus, and as we draw close to him, and as we find joy in his presence, and as we begin to rightly order our lives, prioritizing them around things eternal rather than things temporal, well then, joy should grow gigantic in our lives. And the pronouncement of the birth of Jesus at Christmas is a pronouncement of joy, of joy for all people. And the encouragement, and maybe the promise for us this morning, is that a life lived with joy, a life of entering into joy, is not just a pie-in-the-sky thing we sing about at Christmas every once in a while. It is a promise given to the people of God by the person of Jesus as we align our lives and our priorities behind his purpose and in his kingdom. It's a promise. It's not to say that we won't struggle. It's not to say that depression won't be a thing that we fight from time to time. It's not even to say that you, you might not need a little pharma, pharmacological help from time to time. It's just to say that the promise, the future, is joy. It's joy. It's, I'm going to say it one more time just to get it through your head. It's joy. And if we are committed to that reality, if we are committed to Jesus, I, I'll, let me put it this way around. If we are committed to Jesus, he is committed to our joy. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray this morning and conclude? So, I'm going to pray as we go today that we would become a more joyful people. Not superficially. I don't want happy people. I don't want happy, slappy people, right? Those people drive me crazy. I want, true, I want to be a truly joyful human being in this world, right? Let's pray to that end. Father, we love you. And we pray that you would help to make us joyful human beings. We, uh, we pray, and I pray for my friends this morning, that you would replace sadness with joy and that you would put us on a trajectory of discipleship that would lead us 
further down the road of joy, that you would draw us close to the heart of Jesus, that we would find there our sufficiency and our purpose and our, our just meaning in life, God, but that by so doing, you would lead us on this path of joy. I pray that you would make us a more joyful people, that joy would grow gigantic in our lives and sadness would grow small. It would grow specific. It would be something that happens to us, but joy, joy, joy would be the predominant feeling and experience of our lives. God, we love you, and we thank you for gathering us together here this morning, and we pray that you'd send us out together in joy, and we pray it in the name of the one, Jesus. Amen, and amen, and amen. All right. Thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, If you brought a gift, remember, you could throw it in the box on your way out. Would you go today in the grace and in the peace and in the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ? Amen.